another episode of Presbyopia Unlocked. In this episode, Dr. Ralph Chu talks with Dr. Selena McGee about the expanding treatment landscape for presbyopia with the newly FDA-approved Presbyopia Correcting Eyedrop, Viewity. The two discuss how they educate patients about a more customized approach to presbyopia management. Coming up on Presbyopia Unlocked. Hi, I'm Dr. Ralph Chu, Medical Director and Founder of Chu Vision Institute in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, we are a cataract and refractive practice that also specializes in presbyopia correction uh, for the last 20 plus years. I'm really honored to be joined by my friend and colleague, Dr. Selena McGee. She's the founder of Bespoke Vision of Edmond, Oklahoma, a boutique eye care practice that specializes in dry eye disease, specialty contact lenses, and aesthetics as well as presbyopia. You know, I think this is a really appropriate and exciting time to be discussing presbyopia because now we have more therapeutic options than ever before. We don't just have surgical implant type surgeries, but now we even have therapeutic options like Vuity, a the first of its kind FDA approved presbyopia correcting drop. Selena, why don't you start by just talking uh, with me about how this has been exciting to your practice before we get into how you sort of talk to your patients about this uh, new therapy. You know, I love that we're having this conversation and I think about presbyopia differently than I even did two years ago, certainly five years ago, 20 years ago when I left optometry school. And just being really intentional about presbyopia, I think is really important. And that's one of the pillars of my practice. I know it's been a long time pillar of your practice. And when we think about how our patients live their lives and the fact that we're you know, spending half of our lives presbyopic, I think we have to be really intentional about it because there are so many options and our patients have no idea about nine-tenths of those options. So that's how I think about it. I'm intentional with every single patient, making sure they're well-educated about what presbyopia is. And then we walk through how they spend their life day to day so that then I can customize what they need to you know, live their best life with presbyopia. So Celine, I'd like to follow up on what you just said about lifestyle. You know, when we, when we learn in school about how to do an eye exam, we start with visual acuities, distance and near. But one thing that, you know, we found that's very important for these refractive surgery patients and presbyopia patients is talking about how they live their life. Um, how, do you, how do you approach your patients from that lifestyle perspective? So we're really intentional about the types of questions that we ask. And we ask all of our patients these questions. And the main one is, I need you to walk me through your typical day. What does that look like for you? How many screens are you looking at for how long? And then the really key ones are, where can Dr. McGee help you see better? Are there places that frustrate you right now? And just asking those kinds of questions to every single patient, I think is really important. If we wait on the patient to volunteer where they're having issues, it typically doesn't happen in my experience. But when we start to pull that thread a little bit and really dive into the pain points that our patients are experiencing, that's when we can really customize 
what they need for their everyday life and for presbyopia. So we do it through a questionnaire that they actually get at the front desk with my director of first impressions. And then the technician, you know, walks them through and expands a little bit. And then I expand even more so that we really focus on the full patient experience from front to back. Yeah, I really like how you do that. Those are really important pearls about finding out where their pain points are and you know, one thing we add that I'm sure you do as well is learn what they, you know, learn what they like to do in their, you know, off time from work. So what kind of work do they do? Um, are they on computer screens? Are they uh, more of um, outdoors type activities? I mean, what they do for their hobbies. And so it's really gaining a 360 perspective of, you know, every aspect of not just how they see, but how they live, I think has been important for us to, uh, as a starting point to talk about any presbyopia refractive technique. I think one of the things I've learned from you and, um, you know, through, through uh, our, our discussions is how do you, you know, uh, tell if somebody's going to be a good candidate for either a presbyopia drop or maybe they need to wait for a used glasses or, um, uh, or maybe they're a candidate for a surgical procedure. How do you categorize those patients? So I love using, there's a classification system that Dr. McDonald put together with Melissa Barnett and several others that classifies presbyopia for us based on their functional needs. And it's based on their ad power, not their age. So I utilize that classification system once I know what the patient's trying to achieve. I do think it's really important to set up presbyopia correctly. So I start talking about presbyopia around the age of like 37 to 38 for patients who haven't experienced it yet. But I love that classification system because it sets us up for proper expectations. And I want to make sure that along the patient's journey through presbyopia, that they know that there's a solution for them at every turn. Because a 40 to 42, 45-year-old, for someone like that, it might be a workspace pair of glasses coupled with a drop that they use you know, daily or on the weekends. And maybe not a surgical case yet, but it's nice for them to know that there's going to be an option when they are ready for surgery. So I really use that conversation and that classification system to set proper expectations for the patient through their entire presbyopia journey, which is going to be, you know, 12 to 15, sometimes 20 years. I think that's great. I'm going to let you get into a little bit more specifics about, let's say, Jaeger vision or the ad powers and how you would discuss that. But you know, our perspective is like yours, is that this is a this is a different group of patients that we have never had anything for, at least in a surgical practice. And, you know, to approach these patients like a cataract patient or a, or a laser vision surgery correction patient, I think um, is missing some of the key points that you just brought up, that we've learned that this group of patients between 40 and 55 who are seeking just reading correction uh, needs to be handled a little bit different. I mean, they really are concerned about safety and knowing all their other options. And before we get into all the other different techniques, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, maybe like giving an example of how you would talk to somebody who's J8 or J3 or J5, something like that. Absolutely. So, you know, someone that's J8 definitely cannot move through their day in a way that's going to be productive. And they're going to be much more symptomatic than someone maybe that's J3. And I do think that going back to ask really good questions, because the J3 patient 
could function, but they're going to also be tired by the end of the day. So uh, the other key point before we get into really granular is to remember that there's not only one solution for these patients. And so I always think of this concept of yes and. So yes, I am going to prescribe you a workspace pair of spectacles, and we can also wear contact lens and use a therapeutic drop on the weekends if you're a runner and don't want to have to keep up with glasses. So I think that's a really key point. So for example, if I have someone that like the J8 patient and they need something, they're on the screens, you know, all day, every day, looking at, at multiple screens, that's somebody that I am going to prescribe a workspace spectacle pair of glasses so that we really help them through the daytime. And then I'm also going to offer them and talk to them about maybe doing a contact lens along with a therapeutic drop. Maybe we even do two different contact lenses. So I have some patients that wear a multifocal contact lens to work in, but because their multifocal lens gives them a little bit of blur at distance, then we do a single vision distance lens for the weekend with a therapeutic drop. So I think that's the beauty of what we have now with presbyopia is there's all of these different ways to customize it. And I just really want people to walk away from this conversation thinking it's not only one option, it's a yes and. I really like that. I mean, I, I really appreciate how hard you're working to customize all of the available options to patients, glasses, contacts, and a therapeutic drop. Um, so it's really not just like, hey, you know, I heard about this drop on TV. Can you prescribe it for me? Um, you know, it sounds like it's there. There requires. There, there sounds like there's work to be done in the clinic, like a full eye exam to examine the retina. What do you feel about about that in terms of telling our colleagues about how to how to talk about that with your patients? Absolutely. I mean, this is a therapeutic drop, and so patients deserve to have a comprehensive eye exam where we fully look at the retina, where we're making sure that this is going to be a safe drop for them. And, you know, one particular patient population that I have found that really leans towards a therapeutic drop is a, a post-LASIK patient that, you know, I'm doing air quotes right now, their presbyopia has worn off mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and they, you know, they show up in our clinics looking for an enhancement. And so for those patients, because I don't know typically what their pre-op calculations were, I don't know what their pre-op prescription was. So we owe it to ourselves and to the patients to really look closely at the retina and to make sure that this is going to be a safe option. And then I always walk through with patients exactly like I would with any other therapeutic drop. There's risks and benefits to everything that you and I prescribe, and that's no different. And so that gets documented in the chart as well. And so you know, patients knowing all of that, then we move forward and not everybody's a candidate. You know, if they have lattice degeneration, if they have any thin place in the retina, any retinal disease, then they're not a candidate. And so I think it's super important, especially for the emetropic presbyope, who typically doesn't really show up in our clinics for a comprehensive exam per se, because they've always had good vision. Those are the patients that I worry about that would go to maybe their primary care physician or someone else that can write a prescription that might get a drop that they've never had their retina looked at. And I, I think that's not a good thing. And so I took the opportunity to share with my local primary care physicians, hey, you might have patients that show up asking for this drop 
just know that they need a comprehensive retina exam to look to make sure they are a candidate. So just, you know, things that you and I do every day, all day, that's what these patients need. I love that approach, talking to your local primary care internist. What, that's like, it sounds like a practice building technique as well for some of our colleagues out there. Absolutely. You know, I, we, we've taken the same approach from the beginning is that, uh, you know, this is, a, this is a therapy. And so we've always recommended a retinal exam prior to prescribing this drop for all patients. And, uh, and I think it's important to point out to the audience that during the FDA trial, there were no reported retinal detachments. And I think it's also important to point out that, you know, the study group was up to minus four diopters of myopia. And so when you're talking about your post-LASIK patients, which we all see, I think it's important to try to do some investigation to figure out what their level of preoperative myopia was. And right now, what I'm recommending is, you know, staying within that minus four range uh, and let, you know, just to kind of maintain that level of safety uh, for patients, even though in the study there was no retinal attachments. And I love your approach that not everybody's a candidate because um, even if even with a smaller market, this is a huge opportunity and we want to protect this uh, uh, this channel in a, an opportunity for all patients. What are your thoughts? I, I agree completely. And the other thing that I think sometimes we, we forget because I wasn't a clinical investigator, you were for the clinical trials, right? Yeah, yep. So, yes, I was you know, one key thing that you did for every single one of those patients is you did a dilated exam and you looked at the retina. And if they had any retina pathology, they were excluded from the study. So for me, that makes perfect sense clinically why we didn't see any retinal detachments during the clinical trials, because patients that weren't going to be candidates were excluded. So that translates clinically for me. I'm going to look at these patients and we're going to exclude anyone that I don't think is a good candidate for it. I think that's a really, those are really important points for our audience here. Let's kind of expand it uh, to talk a little bit about other options. You know, like let's say, um, you know, a patient uh, uh, is successful on beauty or how about a patient with monovision? How does that work? Or, you know, what other options do you also discuss? I love your and, you know, Pearl from before, maybe you can build on that. Absolutely. So, you know, one thing that I really have had several patients recently that's on top of mind is the light adjustable lens. So my, especially in my post-refractive patients that, you know, we don't have good pre-op calculations because they've had LASIK. They are really interested in having great vision minus their contact lenses. They've worn monovision contact lenses for a long time and done really well. And so I have found great success with the light adjustable uh, IOLs and doing monovision with those patients and they've been thrilled. And so, you know, that's a, I think a special kind of niche that's pretty exciting and a little bit new. I agree. You know, our experience has been phenomenal with the, 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 the light adjustable lens and the messaging fits really well with the way you customize and the way we individuate the treatment is that, you know, we, we learn what they, what they like, what they're able to do and have had great success getting people less dependent on reading glasses and distance glasses with that light adjustable lens uh, over the last year. So our experience mirrors your experience. I want to also spend some time talking about aligning the right treatment to the right patient. You know, um, there seems to be this uh, maybe feeling out there that, oh, this is just a drop. I can just give this, you know, to anybody who calls my office. Um, let's maybe, you know, what about somebody with an early cataract? How would you approach that patient? 
you know, definitely they need a comprehensive exam and to look at retina. And if they're maybe not ready for cataract surgery, it could be explored. And I have a lot of patients actually, you know, I know in the study it was aged 40 to 55, but I have a lot of patients in their late 50s, early 60s that really truly only need a plus 150 to a plus 175 add that I've had success with a therapeutic drop who wasn't ready for surgery. You know, if I had someone that is a hyperopic presbyope that's in that, you know, 55 to 62 age range, we're really pretty focused on talking about a surgical consult because, you know, those are the patients that, I mean, they're taking a shower. They can't tell if it's the shampoo or the conditioner. I mean, they really would benefit from maybe something surgical at that point. So, but maybe they don't want to have surgery. And that has still been a, a great fit for us in that therapeutic option for those patients. So I don't shy away from the fact that in the study, it was 40 to 55. I use it all the time in patients that are, you know, 55 and older 60s. I've got some patients in their early 70s even that have utilized it. I think that's great. It sounds like, I mean, we both feel like there's more treatment options than ever for all these patients. And how about the difficult conversation? So we talked about the potential risk of a retinal attachment, even though it's very, very small and wasn't reported in the FDA trial. But what about some of the other side effects like blurred vision, dimming at night, and headaches. How do you, when do you introduce that? And can you explain how you talk to your patients about those? Side sure. So I do think it's really important to set proper expectations if you prescribe the drop with Buity. So I, here's how I do it in the lane. And after I get done with my refraction, I just ask one question of, are there any times that you don't want to have to be completely dependent on your glasses? Because we now have a therapeutic drop that we can actually utilize to help you be less dependent. And if the patient says yes to that, I want to know more. Then I walk them through, okay, here's how the drop works. And that one is just a simple analogy of, have you ever noticed that when you stand by a brightly lit window that you see better? The reason that is, is because your pupil gets smaller in natural light. And they understand that completely They're like, oh, that makes perfect sense. So that's kind of how I go through that conversation. And then when I actually prescribe it, I tell them to be on the watch out for three things. Your eyes may get red. You might experience a headache on the first day. And we know that both of those things get better. And then there's a little unique one that your vision can actually feel like if you just reached over to a dimmer light switch and turned it down a notch or two, that your vision can get a little bit dim. Patients don't experience it as blurry, but it is dimmer. Now, what I now know clinically is as patients utilize the drop longer, that those side effects get better. And, you know, the headache a lot of times only happens on the first day. And so when I first started prescribing, I would actually dose the patient in the chair. And I quickly moved away from that because the patient really needs to utilize this drop in their own space, in their own work area, in their own you know lifestyle every day. And we also know there's a neuroadaptation that happens in that first two weeks. And we know that about presbyopia in general. When a patient picks up their first time progressive ad lens spectacles, I ask them to wear them for seven to 10 days and give them a really full chance to get used to them. Same thing with contact lenses, same thing with surgical the drop in that respect is no different. And so I ask patients to utilize the drop every day for the first 10 to 14 days. 
and then they can customize it when they want to use it. But that's what I have found the most success with. How about you? How do you talk to patients? Yeah, we're we're very, very similar. And um, I, I think a key point that you brought up was that two-week adaptation period. Like you, when we first started, we encouraged patients to stick with it for at least a week because of all those, the neuroadaptation and actually some of the side effects. Like when I used it in my own eye, I had some redness for about an hour, but then after a couple of days, I would have no redness upon installation. So we started by encouraging a seven-day break-in period, but now there's actually data out there since you know, this has been in the market since January, that two weeks, like you have said, is actually the most effective time that some patients take a little longer to ramp up. They take a little longer to adjust to some of the blurring. Um, and so we encourage now a two-week break-in period, um, unless it's absolutely very difficult for them, like if there's too much dimming of light and they don't feel safe um, driving at night. I always tell patients before they drive at night, if they're using the drop at night, um, to kind of try it before they get into their car. Most patients are using this in the morning um, before they go to work, uh, and they find that that kind of gets them through most of their day. So we're like you. I just would pull out that thread of the two-week break-in period. Uh, we do talk to them upfront about setting expectations that you that you might get a headache, uh, even though it's transient, that you might experience blurred vision and dimness. Everything that you've sort of emphasized uh, is important to have. Take the time in the clinic have your patients understand this before they just go into their lives and try this on their own. Um, I want to give you a chance also to kind of, you know, close and tell all of the audience about, you know, why you're excited about all the options um, uh, and, and why this is an exciting time for, uh, for eye care uh, with Presbyopia. I have utilized Presbyopia and all the excitement to really build my practice and to create more awareness on what we can offer as eye care providers, not only for presbyopia, but I think it's really important for the public to fully understand what a comprehensive eye exam can really do for them. And the fact that we can diagnose, you know, 270 systemic diseases from their comprehensive eye exam. So, you know, I have really leveraged presbyopia to help build my practice and to take better care of my patients. I don't want my patients to ever be surprised by anything. And so I've just been more intentional about talking about presbyopia with each and every patient so they're not surprised. And then the second part of that is not to be discouraged if they don't go for whatever recommendation I have in the moment because their presbyopia journey is gonna change and maybe they're not ready for surgery today but maybe they're ready for a drop or maybe they're not ready for the drop today, but who knows in a month, six months, two years, I want them to always see us as a resource and not go to a different practice and say, well, gosh, my doctor never talked to me about this. I didn't know this was an option. There's really so much opportunity. That's what really excites me about all of what's happening in presbyopia is it, it, it really elevates the eye care profession for us to have more access to the broad public and take great care of patients. Yeah, I think it's, you, you say it so well, I don't have much to add to that, but where I'm at now, what I tell my staff is in the last 25 years, we've been, we are now able to say yes to more patients than ever before with more therapeutic options and surgical options than ever before. So 
this really op this presbyopia correcting drop opens up the presbyopia space for all of eye care because these are patients that haven't sought eye care. 30 million of them have not sought eye care directly on their own. And so it's been a uh, introduction to eye care as well as a gateway into learning more about all the other surgical options. So I think it's been a win-win for all of us, optometry, ophthalmologists, and, and most importantly, our patients. Um, and I just want to thank you for emphasizing, you know, how to do this right, you know, setting the expectations, doing a thorough eye exam, being a really good eye doctor, uh, and just customizing the treatment for these patients. You know, I take your lead on that, and I really appreciate, you know, again, the opportunity to always uh, speak with you again, Selena. Thank you for your time tonight. Awesome. Thanks, Dr. Chu. Appreciate you.